0: Welcome to the Matters of Movement podcast. I'm your host, Christina whalen Chabot. Join me in exploring all the things that impact movement and how we can all strive to move better to feel better as I interview movement experts, researchers, and real people who have made big and inspiring changes in their lives by turning to movement and wellness. Thank you for tuning in to the Matters of Movement podcast. Today, I am really excited to welcome our special guest, alexa Mm -hmm. idama hi alexa welcome to the podcast hi for having me no problem i'm so happy you're here so full disclosure i learned of alexa and her work in june of this year and after devouring all of her content on instagram i was really excited to discover that she was part of a panel discussion called your movement science is racist which was so good by the way
1: and i'm still waiting for part two I think, I think, um, I think Jessel is working on hopefully having something out soon. Oh, good. Good. Because it was
0: important information for everyone to have. But in all seriousness, I really appreciated your contribution. It was really meaningful. It was succinct, and it resonated with me in a really big way. And I feel like it bounced around in my brain for days and the weeks afterwards. So I'll tell you why, because I actually come from a research background. And when I did my master's in exercise physiology all the years ago, I can tell you right now that there was not one person of color in my project. So yes, it was. My movement research was racist and lacking in a really big way. So when I saw this event, I knew I had to be part of it and it, w- it did not disappoint. So after that, I invited you to be part of this podcast, which is why we find ourselves here today. Um, I'm going to start things off by reading your bio. Alexa is a Pilates teacher who has been in the health and wellness space for almost 18 years. Prior to Pilates, she was a personal trainer and yoga teacher. Alexa is passionate about sharing the benefits of Pilates. She is especially interested in creating space within Pilates for Black and Brown folks to whom the space can often feel exclusive. Alexa is also a wife and mother of two young boys. So let's do this. Alexa, why don't you tell me uh, why Pilates is so important to you specifically?
1: So like I like said in my bio, I came to Pilates. I came to Pilates after having been a personal trainer, yoga teacher, fitness instructor for a really long time. And even though I felt I had learned so much already about how the body moves and the health and wellness space, when I came to Pilates, it's almost like I got a complete re-education. Even after learning the mechanics through my personal training, training and working with clients, even after like because I dedicated myself to yoga for about six years exclusively and you know yoga really puts you in touch with your body I came to Pilates and there were spaces in my body that I did not know existed that it woke up and I felt like if I had been doing Pilates all those years that I was personal training and teaching yoga I would have been so much better of a personal trainer and a yoga teacher and when I look back at things now even though I didn't do it intentionally, I, I wonder if there are times when, when I did them a disservice um, as a trainer and as a teacher, just because I didn't have that knowledge that Pilates has given me now. And, and still, I'm still learning so much. I have to say, I still feel like a little bit of a baby in the Pilates space because I've not been only been in the space for about three going on four years now. And I still feel like I am just like chipping away at the tip of the iceberg. But it's, it's a wonderful practice. It is, so, it is so awakening to the body and to the mind. And definitely, if you are teaching yoga, I would recommend at least taking a few Pilates sessions and just seeing what that can do for you as a yoga teacher too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I've been mm-hmm. teaching Pilates probably for mm-hmm. 12 years now, but on a part time basis. And yes. I too feel like a baby mm-hmm. and like I'm chipping away <laughs> at all the yes. things. There's so much information to learn. Yes. And, and I feel like the learning is, is basically forever. I'll, I'll never stop mm-hmm. learning. It's
1: continuous. Yeah. And I, I will say so when I say I've been in the space for about three to four years, I'd actually taken a math certification you know probably about 10 years ago like a really really long time ago at the start but it wasn't a great certification it taught me the basics of math and I taught you know I taught a few classes on and off I would go back and teach Pilates didn't really feel so connected with it but then I took a reformer session with a friend of mine who was going through her training and that just changed everything for me I feel like the equipment like woke things up that I was not where I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. thought this was just a gym machine. And actually, it is so much more. So yeah, so I feel like my passion now is to like say, hey, if you have not heard about this, you need to be trying it out. And you know, at least try it before you knock it. And hopefully you'll like it. And it will yeah. do for you what it did for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So that goes into our next question. Yes. Who do you feel should be doing Pilates?
1: I feel everybody should be doing Pilates. And it's not just somebody who wants to who wants to start a fitness regimen even if you have an established workout you know workout regimen or if you're an established yogi and you have a practice in whatever field you're you're practicing in pilates can help make that better other things don't necessarily make pilates better so yoga even though yoga gives you awareness i would not necessarily say it makes my pilates practice so much better however my pilates practice makes my yoga practice a lot better. The way I move in my yoga practice is so much safer due to Pilates. It gives me awareness of muscles that there's a lot of times when teachers in yoga will cue, just let your breath guide you into it. And while that's really true, it might take a hundred years for your breath to finally guide you to your hamstrings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? whereas Whereas Pilates will be like, if you're not using your hamstrings, there's no way you're gonna do this exercise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I I feel like Pilates is in order for this exercise to happen. These are the things in your body that must be waking up. And in that sense, you don't have to spend so long looking for things. I felt like when I was in yoga, I'd be like, oh, eventually this is gonna work. And I was in the Ashtanga side of yoga, so that's a little yeah, that's a little bit more um, and maybe not traditional, but it's a little bit more structured than other yoga practices. And I would wonder like, why is it that I cannot do this posture? Why is it? And now I now that I do Pilates, I'm like, yes, I know why I can't do it because this this part of my body is not strong. I'm not connected to the space. There's no way I'm going to get my leg to do certain things. Um, so yeah, so I feel like Pilates gives you that understanding of which muscles are dormant basically and of how to wake them up.
0: So Alexa, why don't you tell me how someone can
1: start a practice? My number one answer for that would be uh, go to a local Pilates studio. While you can work with a teacher at a gym that just teaches math Pilates, I feel like you do truly get the full benefits of a Pilates practice if you have access to at least some equipment. And a lot of studios actually have a lot of flexibility when it comes to what they have on offer. You can do one-on-one sessions, which I know you know, in terms of budget, might not be in everybody's budget, but the studio I go to, for example, offers group classes, and those classes are within the same price range as a yoga class. And while some of them might be math based, you'll get classes that are tower based or reformer based. Um, you know, sometimes the teacher will take you on the chair, and I feel like when you get when you get a good, you know, when you get a good range of um, equipment versus mat in your routine, in your, routine, your workout, in your Pilates workout, um, you get more of the benefits of the practice. So local studio is number one. If you can't make it to a local studio, I know there's a lot of teachers that also teach out of their home. So it might be worth just looking um, on Facebook market, trying to find a teacher who has like a home studio. That's also a really good option. And, you know, like you can always go online. There's a lot of teachers offering not just mat classes because there's a lot of teachers now that offer reformer classes online. It does you do miss that aspect of um having somebody correct you just like you would in yoga or any other any other physical form of movement. If you know if you have a personal trainer, they correct your movement too. You do miss that aspect when you're working digitally, but it's better than not doing, you know, any Pilates any Pilates at all. And it's always better to do bad Pilates than no Pilates. <laughs> what is bad somebody. Pilates? <laughs> um so bad Pilates is Pilates where you're not necessarily working from the center or from your powerhouse. That's, that's my, that's my definition of bad Pilates, like where you're making the movements but they're not coming from the right place. Okay. And what, like, like I said, bad Pilates is better than no Pilates, because even if you start out making those movements, um, you know, maybe not being 100% connected to your powerhouse. The more you practice, the more you will start to get in tune with the movement. And eventually, there won't be too much choice but those spaces for those spaces to kick in. So it might take you a little bit longer to get there, but eventually, you know, whatever is supposed to be working will start to work. You'll start to find it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's such a good investment, right? I feel like, like anything that is really good for you Mm that there aren't there aren't a lot of shortcuts you just have to do the work Mm -hmm. and and it will come and you will be grateful for the work that you've done
1: yes yes and you know like like I completely understand you know I don't want to zoom that no, like that everybody has budget issues or can't afford Pilates but I do understand that for a lot of people it is it is a matter of how, um, because Pilates is more expensive than than most other types of exercise. It is like personal training in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, however, I would say even if it's once a month, make that investment in your in your health. Like even if you can just see somebody occasionally, try to invest in the session, and then you can supplement with online videos or with books. Um, you know, you can maybe get a DVD. There's lots of those at Goodwill and lots of really good dvds too at goodwill so and a lot of platforms will also give you trial periods. so it's worth like you know checking to see if you can join a platform and maybe just see a teacher occasionally Mm -hmm. yeah yes
0: i agree and the other thing too is that if somebody is doing um you know an occasional Lesson to really mm-hmm. try to bring that home with them, you know, yes. to, and, and that's what I like to do as a teacher, anyways. I like to send people home with mm-hmm. things to think about. Love it when people re- report back to me that they're sitting taller in their office chair yes. or correcting their posture while they're doing the dishes. All of those things count, right? And if you can get a good teacher that's willing to give you those little tips,
1: and mm-hmm. um, I think that that's really important. Absolutely, no. It's absolutely, and I I feel like that's probably the main reason I am still doing this. Um, there's been so many times when I feel like, oh, you know what, I think it's time to maybe look at other professions, and then I'll go see a client who, you know, doesn't have plantar fasciitis anymore, or yeah. is you know tells me my back pain went away, and I didn't think it ever would. Oh. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is really working, and it's really changing. It's really changing people's lives, you know. So. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely, and like you said, I always give homework. Yeah, um, it's like it's like it's, it's one of the things. If you're working with me, it's very really likely that you will start to get little sheets to go home with, and I'll be asking you students. Um,
0: yes. So one of the things we talked about in terms of mm-hmm. bringing access to Pilates to everyone, mm-hmm. one of one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, <laughs> is mm-hmm. that Pilates is not diverse enough you walk into a class and it's primarily caucasian people mm-hmm. what in your opinion can be done to make pilates less exclusive
1: so my number one thing and i have been thinking about this and one of the main things i feel is people who are running the studios need to want to have non-white people coming in they need to want to have they need to understand that other people also want to do this practice. And if they open their doors, they would be there. The area I live in has a very large Korean population. And you will find that when spaces are open to and provide services in Korean, that the Korean population will frequent those studios and they will frequent those businesses. You know, just because they, one, they feel welcome that you've made an effort to speak to them in the language that they understand and two they you know like they know that you care enough about them to you know to to open the doors to them so one of the studios i work at i feel like there is definitely an effort that is made towards the korean population the website indicates that we speak korean um when you come into the studio you don't just see white people in the imagery but you also have posters with um you know like with korean teachers doing pilates exercises so There's a there's a reflection of the people who are coming in. And of course, I want to say over 50 percent of the studio is Korean Um, versus the studio right next door, you know, 30 minutes down the road, same area um, with no Korean clients. So I feel like, you know, like the studio, the studio owners attitude matters. Um, The imagery that the studio owners put up matters when people come into a studio and don't even see anybody closely, you know, like not even closely resembling them, yeah. it's very clear that um, you, you are not the number one person in the thought process. Because when you go out to, you know, a lot of studios will have pictures of people practicing Pilates. I'm not saying every single one, because I know that some of them have bare walls too. But a lot of studios that I've been to will have pictures of somebody doing a pilates exercise of all the studios that i work at have those images Uh and um you know most apart from one studio all those all those images are are white yeah like they're all white you know um now your website and your advertising sometimes might have you know a brown person in there but it's always and and this is where this is where i feel um I also want to say something because diversification doesn't just mean Black people. That's right. It's not just, you know, while while I'm happy to see Black people in your advertising, um, it's not appealing to people of Indian origin. Um, right. It's not appealing to um, people of South American origin. It's not appealing to, um, you know, it's not appealing to anybody who doesn't look like a Black or white person. That's right. Um, so imagery is really important.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you um, so kind of like the studio I work at, if you know that the population in your area maybe they're um they're not native English speakers, letting them know that you will not be expecting them or forcing them to listen to all your cues in English, right? Um, or that you will at least have some understanding. If if you know like if they don't understand English, it's also a way to just you know indicate that you're inviting to those people. And now you have open doors. Mm Yeah, Exactly.
0: One of the things that I I had just recently Mm -hmm. started teaching uh, in an area that is very Mm -hmm. mixed group. You know, there's, uh, it's actually quite ridiculous because there's a a train track and on one side of the tracks, (laughs) (laughs) it looks one way and on the other side of the tracks, it looks the other way. But I started these classes in this community center Mm -hmm. and... I was really excited when people started signing up because I was getting this really beautiful, diverse class, which was the first time in my life that that had happened other than being in university because universities, Mm
1: -hmm. it was always, it was always
0: diverse in university. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, I really get a lot of, excitement you know when that kind of thing happens and Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm striving for the more and more I I bring classes to people the more and more I I want Mm -hmm. that to happen so uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was what kind of language is important to avoid or alternatively what language is important to use to ensure we're creating an inclusive environment
1: so I will I will say and I maybe this ties into the last question as Mm -hmm. well um, I, I want to say anybody who's working in a studio needs to be really intolerant to language that has any kind of stereotyping involved or prejudice involved. In um, you know, I've, I've worked at studios where people, you know, like teachers will make comments about clients that don't really, you know, like all the clients are doing those things, um, but they, they they tend to, they want to focus on one a client who looks a specific way, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they're doing it and kind of like stereotype it to that client, and I feel like that that sort of language cannot be tolerated. At, um, at you know, language that just creates prejudice and creates stereotypes mm-hmm. should not be tolerated. In terms of language that um, that should be used, I feel, and it's it's hard to say exactly what welcoming language is, right. but like like I said in my last point, if you if you know, if a if a if your area has a lot of Korean speakers, mm-hmm. and the Korean speaker comes in, and you say instead of saying hello, you say Su, right? You might not say it perfectly, yeah. but it's it just lets them know, hey, they're making an effort, right? Right, and it goes, you know, like that's the, that's the one example I can think of right now, but it goes for. If you live in an area where there's a lot of people who are not necessarily native speakers, maybe you learn one or two phrases in your languages just to show that you are are open to them being there and you're happy to have them there. Mm -hmm. If everybody's an English speaker and just happens to look different, I'm not saying that people need to code switch and change their accents and, you know, like, act all weird. (laughs) Um, But also be able to have um, conversations with people Where you're not shying away from certain things. Mm -hmm. I know for, I know for example, in the time that we're going through now with COVID and, you know, especially what happened with George Floyd. I work, so I work at about five different studios. And out of the five that I worked at, there was only one studio that was clearly, um, was vocal about the fact that they were against that kind, those kind of actions Mm -hmm. and they were in support of Black Lives Matter. All the other studios, I mean, one of them emailed me and said said, Well, we don't like to get involved in controversial um matters, and if you have to you know like they were giving us advice on what we should post on our social media, and it was it was almost unbelievable that that was the stance they were taking. They were right. saying that they were basically saying that getting involved in supporting you know black the black people being free and black people not getting killed was controversial Um, and we should have this neutral thing that we post on our social media if we're going to post it yeah Um, and i find like that is that is the wrong language to use i feel in times where where people are being marginalized speak up um show what your values are like be clear about what they are um and i don't know i can't tell people to not be neutral in situations like that but you know like that is not inviting language to people of people of color no it's not mm-hmm. it's yes. not. it's you know and it doesn't show support no it doesn't mm-hmm. i
0: actually posted uh reposted something from a friend of mine it was mm-hmm. something having to do with you know sometimes speaking up about racism means that you're you're going to be affected by it in some way mm-hmm. And and you know, as a white person, that has to be okay, you know? It has to be okay for us to be able to just stand up and take a hit sometimes. That's fine. It's okay, you know, and if it's not sometimes perhaps
1: it'd be better if it was more, you know, more than sometimes. (laughs) And I, I feel like I feel like people speak up about so many different things, right? It is not uncomfortable for me to if somebody You know, like if if somebody came out and was talking about um, casually talking about how they raped somebody, I would have no problem speaking up about that. It would not be an uncomfortable thing to speak about. It would not be controversial. It would be, in fact, like it would be my right to call the police at that point in time and have you you like, it would be, it (sighs) would be normal to do something like that. So I feel like why is it so, why is it so controversial to speak about the violence that is, you know, like that, black people have to go through, especially in America. Yeah. Like, why is it such a controversial thing when people say they're not okay with that violence? Um, yeah. It's not okay, you know. Like, if a small child is being is being, you know, like abused, it, 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 everybody should speak up about that. That's right. Like, it's something that you should like. It's not something that anybody should stay quiet about. Yeah. So why is it when it's when it happens to be a group of Brown people or black people, like, why is it that that is controversial? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. So yeah, So it's... are you still working at this karate studio? I guess, like, if I was going to work and my life was, I felt like my life was actively in danger, I would not work there. I'm still at the point where I'm ready to have conversations with people, uh-huh. and you know, like, I can either decide to quit and just ignore that those things are happening and that those people exist or when things like that happen, use my voice to speak up. And if, if they're willing to listen, hopefully we can, I can be a positive change in that environment. Um, now, yes. So I I am still working at some of those studios and I will say at some of the studios where I've had conversations with people, there have been times when people are like, I didn't even realize I was doing this and I am going to, you know, I'm going to start working or start learning more at least. Yeah. About how I can be a better person, and in those situations, I'm like, well, if I would just cancel that studio and left, then um, they would have forever been, been, you know, just kept doing the things they're doing, and nothing would have changed. Yeah, so sucks. I'll be here for these for the clients that I'm working with and the people whose lives I'm actually changing. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah. That's so perfect. I'm still working. I'm still working at most of the studios yeah. that I was working at before, mm-hmm. and I guess like over time, I'm hoping that we can just we can just move into a space where. I'm not getting emails that are mm. talking about people being choked to death, being controversial. <laughs> right. Cause exactly. it's not, con- it's not controversial. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. So,
0: well, talking more about your work. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about your Instagram page <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I can tell you now that if I, when I go into my saved posts mm-hmm. more oh. than a few of them are <laughs> yours. So anyways, I'm really enjoying your work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how has your
1: Instagram developed and how does it compare to your teaching in the studio? I wasn't that active on Instagram even a year and a half ago. I, I had started my low impact fit page, but I wasn't 100% sure where I wanted it to go. All I knew is that I, I came out of a lot of injuries mm-hmm. and I still enjoyed working out. However, I didn't, you know, I didn't do a lot of high intensity anymore. But I, w- I still had a good workout, workout program, workout regime. And I knew that there were other people who must be going through the same thing as me. And a lot of what is offered on Instagram is either like when it comes to the Pilates world, it's either very beautiful, dancey type moves with, you know, like people doing dance routines that look very visually appealing. But when I try to do them, I'm like, my, my leg doesn't even do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have the other side of Instagram where it's like, 20 year olds or very, very genetically blessed 40 year olds who are doing the most high intensity workouts, jumping upstairs. And I'm like, if I did that, I would need an ice bath straight after. And I think my my whole thing was like, I wanted to see if there was a community um, or people who enjoyed just doing workouts that were effective, but they were low impact as well. And if you wanted to do Pilates, do Pilates too. So let me go back to your Original question of how my Instagram differs from my teaching. Yeah. So I, my, most of my teaching is Pilates. I only teach one um, yoga class a week now, and I only teach one bar class. I've, I've yeah. purposefully over the years phased out everything else because Pilates teaching is the most low impact on my body and gives me enough space to still have the energy to do my own workouts. Which when I was mainly teaching yoga. I felt like at the end of a teaching day, I just couldn't do anything else. Like It was like I was physically exhausted, but I was not necessarily physically exhausted in a good way. I was just tired. Whereas Pilates still allows me to to do other workouts. So most of what I I teach is Pilates. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for me to show that on Instagram because I teach a lot of classical Pilates, which I am still trying to work out a way for how that would make sense to people who have never been to a Pilates studio, right? And what I don't want to do is discourage. Like, I don't want people to look at it and be like, "Oh, this is really strange," and I don't have access to any of that, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bother following or yeah. looking into what she's doing. Yeah. I do want people to be curious and say, "Hey, let me have a look. What is this girl doing? It is low impact. Oh, she does Pilates. I've never considered Pilates, yeah. so let me try. Let me let me try Pilates." Um yes. So in that sense, my teaching, which is mainly classical Pilates, differs from what I show because a lot of what I show on my Instagram is not necessarily classical Pilates. When I do Pilates, it generally is classical, but I also have a, lo- a lot of low-impact variations, low-impact options. I recently started doing a lot of TRX workouts because quite honestly, apart from Pilates, I do a lot of TRX. Yeah. It is like my, my second go-to or my third go-to um, and I found like people like that, they seem to enjoy that. So I started posting a little bit more on that, but I barely teach any TRX. That's just me. I personally do TRX and I teach very little. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's that the main difference is I teach a lot of classical Pilates and um, on Instagram, I show a little bit more than that. Yeah. And over time, I might find a way to incorporate the classical into it, into my page a little bit more and have it make sense to people who have never been to a studio.
0: Yeah. Well, I mm-hmm. love that. I feel like it's a really nice entry point. That's what your po- your your page is like, yes. that right? It's like mm-hmm. it's inviting, it's simple, mm-hmm. but really wonderful, supportive exercises to just help people get through the day. Mm-hmm. Right? I really loved your office chair video exercise. So, <laughs> when you're putting those things together, what mm-hmm. is what is going through your head? How how do you lay this all out?
1: So it's really interesting. So the office chair video actually came after probably at least ten people had requested that I do something. Like people kept messaging me and saying, (laughs) "Can you do something for us who sit in the office?" I kept thinking, "Man, but I don't sit in the office. (laughs) So what am I? You know, like what am I? You know." So I would ask my husband, "How do you feel?" And you know, like what like i know shoulders ache but what else can you do and w- for those who are actually going into the office what would be like the least weird stuff that you could yeah. do if you're on break that is actually effective because i see all these i see a lot of people posting stuff and i'm like man you would not plank in an office like you would not put your feet up on a chair it has to be like somehow realistic so i and then in addition to that i had i had been through a lot i was in an accident a couple of years ago and i went through a lot of like physical therapy and from that I kind of learned some techniques. So when I was making that video, I was like, okay, let me sit in an office chair. Let me see how this feels. My back is hurting. Um, this chair is rolling around. <laughs> so, you know, like, what can you do with this chair? And I kind of sat and played for a little while um, with stuff that I kind of, you know, like this, okay, if I had a bar class or if I did Pilates, this mm-hmm. is a stretch I would take. So you know, what can we do on this office chair and how can we transfer that to this chair? So I guess when, when we're talking about that particular sequence, mm-hmm. uh, part of it was my physical therapy. So things for the neck that, yeah. that was, and some of the stuff I did with stretching the hamstrings was from, um, you know, working on the ladder barrel and Pilates, like some of the ballet stretches. Um, and I think I did, um, I think I did tree on, I'm trying to think of all the things that I did. I was like, I did some stuff, which I do on the reformer, like kicking the leg out and finding yeah. a hamstring stretch. And, you know, so it's inspired by many different things, but mm-hmm. all the things that I actually do myself yeah. and I find are effective and hopefully would not be super weird if you actually went into an office. Yeah. Your colleagues colleagues <laughs> looked at you and were like, what are you doing? Oh, no, she's just stretching. That's okay. <laughs>
0: Well, perhaps they should mm-hmm. adopt it as an office practice. That would I know, yeah, useful,
1: right? Yes, <laughs> and it does actually feel good. Like you know, like you open up spaces, like a, like you know, the stretches I showed. There's stretches that I do myself, and they do actually make your body feel good. So yeah. yes,
0: good. it
1: would it would be useful. I know a lot of our organizations, especially you know, even before COVID, this, this had started, but especially since COVID, a lot of organizations are you know putting you know bringing in like digital. Um, workouts that people can do. I know a lot of offices had had gyms already and had you know sometimes had aerobics cl- like classes going on there. Yeah. But I know that there is organizations out there now that are bringing more digital trainers to the office, and people are making use of it, especially now that they're at home.
0: Yeah, yes, and it's mm-hmm. so
1: good. So yes, yes.
0: So one mm-hmm. of the other post that you put up was a -hmm. quote about focusing on being the healthiest version of you and not a Mm -hmm. dress size. And I really felt like that resonated with me. What inspired that post?
1: So growing up, my mom and my grandmom were very much about dress size. And yes, and and my mom was a very small, you know, like my grandmother was a little bit chubby, but my mom was a very small woman for most of her life. And she was very focused. I think she had had it drilled into her by her mom, that being thin was, you know, like was the ideal and you needed Mm -hmm. to be like, I think in the 70s, all the magazines used to tell women that they needed to be under a size, a European size 38. What? uh, Because my mom is German, which is, which is probably a size, I want to say like a size four. So you needed to be under a size four to be considered um, healthy. And that was that was the size that everybody wanted to be under a size 38 or a size um, American size four. So my whole life, you know, that was the aim was to not get bigger than a size 38, like a size four. And I I was always bigger than a size four. (laughs) (laughs) I was always, I was always a little bit bigger than I was supposed to be. Um, And I remember like, like, you know, my mom was constantly striving for this and it was always like we got to do diets and we've got to like make sure that we don't you know like so that was like the constant talk that i grew up with and my mom died at 46 and despite all of her sizing like despite all of her trying to achieve at, you know certain size towards the end of her life she wasn't that size anymore but she also due to all the low fat and low calorie and the restrictive the restrictiveness of a lot of the foods that she was eating, I feel like she didn't get the nutrients that she needed. Right. And, and that was also a big part of where I started my health journey. We started when she got sick, she had cancer. When she got sick, we started looking at what nutrients we were putting into our body versus how many calories right. things had in them. And it was for us, it was almost this big shock to see that we had been eating a lot of nutrientless food that had been advertised as healthy right. and was probably her her illness could probably be at least partly be attributed to what we were putting in our bodies right um yeah so when i talk about this address size not being not needing to be your main focus and your health needing to be your focus you will get to whatever size your body is supposed to be Mm -hmm. if you focus on getting the most nutritious food right so nutritious food and having like you know a healthy movement pattern not exactly. killing yourself in the gym, like not jogging for five hours a day so that you can fit into this black dress on Saturday, right. but having a good balance between nutrition and moving and working out will get you to where your body needs to be. And balance is so much more important than a dress size. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And
0: w- one of my really good friends is actually mm-hmm. a stylist and she mm-hmm. has told me that none of the sizing is standard. Mm-hmm. So you can go in to a variety of different stores and put on the clothes that fit your body and they'll be different sizes because yes. there's nothing straightforward about how mm-hmm. they, how they determine sizing and clothing. So on top of that, you know, there's all of that to keep in mind as well. And I, yes, and I commented on that post just saying that you know as I as I get older, you know I'm in my mm-hmm. 40s now and mm-hmm. as I get older, my body is changing and probably the heaviest I've ever been aside from mm-hmm. being pregnant, but I'm also the healthiest I've ever been and mm-hmm. the strongest. That's why it really resonated with me because I was just it was very important to me and for the people that I work with to keep that
1: in mind. Yes. And, I, and it's, it's funny you say that about being the strongest because um, a lot of times when people are bigger, they're naturally strong. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just, they have more physical force than, um, than really small or tiny people. Right. And sometimes in life we need that physical force. Yes. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to be, to be a larger person because yeah. you have more power, like you have That's more right. physical strength That's than right. somebody who is smaller. I remember when I, um, when I was really deep into my Ashtanga practice and everybody, everybody at the studio was on like really, this was not to attain a dress size, but hey. you know, you know, like, especially in the Ashtanga world, you know, it's, it's recommended to be vegetarian or vegan and um, don't eat before practice, don't eat after a certain time. So you have these really short windows of when you can actually eat because you spend so much of your day practicing. Uh, that, you know, you can only really eat breakfast and lunch. And then by the time you get to dinner, if you miss that 7 PM, you better not eat because you might be too heavy when you wake up in the morning to practice. So everybody and a lot of the practitioners in the Shtanga are very thin. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would go to the studio and I would think, oh, if I was a little bit thinner, I would probably be able to get to that posture a little bit faster. And, um, you know, so I would, I would be (laughs) a little bit restrictive there too. And, I remember there was one I think one Christmas when I didn't go into the studio and I ended up eating quite a bit and putting on some weight and I went back to the studio and I did the posture that i had been I had oh. been aiming for just because I was stronger I was mm-hmm. not so I was physically stronger and more able mm-hmm. to attain that posture because I had a little bit of a strength to get into it, yeah so yeah, so. I think that was like, that was another wake up moment where I was like, Ooh, actually, you know, like maybe you need to be a little bit bigger to do this yoga practice.
0: I want to know, you know, as, as a Pilates teacher personally, I go through these phases where I get really excited about one specific thing. I like to work on it a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and I like to call it what is lighting me up. So,
1: you know, is there anything specific that is lighting you up these days? Right now it's the tower. so my yes so for anybody who's listening that doesn't do pilates the tower is it's basically a unit that's attached to the wall that has lots of springs on it and you can do standing exercises with you know well i guess full body exercises where you pull against the tension of the springs and right now i am my focus is on trying to really learn the exercises on the tower and to become better. I feel like they're the ones that are giving me the most challenge mm-hmm. and the ones that I know that are most intimidating to me and I know the least compared to um, other pieces of equipment like the reformer or the chair mm-hmm. where I'm starting to feel pretty comfortable. And even the ladder barrel, I feel like with a lot of the exercises, exercises, I feel comfortable, but the tower, I'm always looking at and thinking, Ooh, a little bit scary. Anything more than leg springs is a little bit like, I'm not sure if this is working out right. So, so yeah, so tower has been my focus. And when I, I don't want to say when I nail an exercise, but when I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel this, that I'm like, ah, this is great. I just want to do it over and over again. Yeah. The tower is, I would say trying to master to a certain Mm -hmm. extent.
0: And do you feel like your own practice then
1: informs your teaching as well? Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely mainly or only practice things that I have, that I have, you know, I only, sorry, I only teach things that I have practiced myself. Okay. And the few times that I get, I will say peer pressured into doing (laughs) something that I don't necessarily, or I haven't necessarily practiced, it always goes wrong right. because I have no idea what I'm cueing. I have no idea what I'm telling people to do. And people leave class and they're like, mm, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I can see in their eyes that there's a chance they might not be coming back. Whereas even if I teach the same stuff over and over again, as, as long as it is stuff that I have done and I have felt and I know how it's supposed to feel in their bodies and I can cue it properly, I always get it. That was a great class. Yeah. You know, like when they yeah. leave. So I, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying not to get pressured into teaching things that I don't really know too much about and sticking to the ones that I do myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was one
0: of the things that my teacher said, you have to do Pilates. You have to continue yes. your own practice. Otherwise mm-hmm. you can't be effective as a mm-hmm. Pilates teacher. Yes. You have to feel it in your body, right?
1: Yes, yes. It makes a huge difference. You know, I I learned it. I learned it from Ashtanga, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I I know I keep talking about Ashtanga, but it was such a big presence in my life. Yeah. uh, For so long, and it still is. If I hadn't been in that accident, you know, I probably would not have slowed down on my practice the way I did. Mm -hmm. But Ashtanga showed me that if you really want to know something you need to do it over and over and over and even if you do it over and over again there is a chance that you still might not know it and because practicing ashtanga made me so much better of an ashtanga teacher when i came to pilates i knew that i knew that i couldn't approach it with anything but the same kind of right. the same the same kind of drive as i did my last practice so and i actually really enjoy doing pilates yeah <laughs> i love i actually love it i look forward to it every day yeah um, i'm I'm a little bit sad on the days when I don't make it to my mat or to the studios. So yeah. I always feel better after doing Pilates. So yes. yes. So yes. yes, you have to practice it yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a campaign on right now to raise money for yes. women's mental health called move mm-hmm. better, feel better. So yes. the sale of my tank tops, um, the profits from the sale of my tank top goes to women's mental health, basically. Mm-hmm. So being a movement educator, what does that mean to you specifically move better, feel better?
1: You know, it's interesting that you um, asked that question, especially over the last five months. Mm-hmm. I, I know that if I would not have had a movement practice, I would not be in a good place mentally. It's the one thing that has given me space to not overly focus on things that have, like, are mentally negative for me. Right. I feel like one with COVID, when, when, when we first started lockdown, there was definitely this sense of, anxiety for me of like, what's going to happen? Will we ever open up? And if we do, will I still have a job or will all the studios be done? But just being able to move every day gave me an hour to kind of step away from that. And when I came back, you know, when I come back to it, I come to it with a different sense of clarity. Mm -hmm. I would come back and be like, okay, even if the studios are closed, this is the option that you can have and this is what you can do. So I feel like just taking that time to step away and care for yourself and maybe not mentally not be able to constantly think of all the the things that are negatively affecting you Mm -hmm. just allows you to come back with a slightly more positive mindset so for me movement has everything to do with mental health and which is why i encourage it for people and also you know just with with um with the murders that have happened i that has been so heavy yeah. The one hour I get a day where I am just taking care of myself and reminding myself that I'm still alive yeah. and I'm still here and I'm still mm-hmm. living, it, mm-hmm. just, it just adds that life force back mm-hmm. into my body. So Absolutely. yes, movement is important. So I think what you're doing is important <laughs> because movement is, is very important to mental health. And I think all the studies show too that yes. if you have an established movement practice or if you work out, mm-hmm. you are generally a happier person. Yeah. You're generally in a better mental state than people who don't.
0: Yeah. So Alexa, is there anything
1: else that you would like to add to this conversation? We have talked about so much. Yeah. Um, I just want to, like, I just want to encourage people to go out and find a movement practice. If, it, mm-hmm. if it's Pilates, even better. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, you don't necessarily have to take a class with me, but, you know, find your local Pilates teacher. If you need somebody who's closer to you than I am, because I'm based in Atlanta, I'm happy to, you know, reach out to to the different Pilates teachers on the forums that I'm part of and find out who is in your area and recommend somebody. But um, yeah, definitely pick up a movement practice. Like I said a few moments ago, it will make you feel better. It is good for your mental health, not Mm -hmm. just your physical health. And hopefully it'll help make you live longer or for the time that you were here, live better. Exactly,
0: Mm -hmm. that's beautiful, I love that. So
1: I know our listeners are probably gonna wanna learn more about Mm -hmm. you, where can they Mm -hmm. find you? Um, I'm mainly on Instagram at my handle low impact fit. I just started TikToking. I don't, I don't know yet (laughs) if that is going to be a major space for me, but I'm there at Alexa Pilates and also low impact fit. Yes. And then I I have my website, low impact fit. So if you wanted to send me a, a message, you know, you can do it through my website. You can contact me there. But yeah, Instagram is my, is the place where I'm most active and most established Um, So yeah, definitely come, come follow, give me a follow, you know, join the community. There's lots of great exercises and I'm always happy to chat too. Amazing.
0: Alexa, I loved this Mm -hmm. conversation. I'm so glad that we finally were able to make it work. And I wanted to thank you so much for sharing so much with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you so much for having me on. And I wish you all the best with, you know, with this podcast. I hope we see it for many years.
0: Thank you so much for listening in to Matters of Movement, the podcast. I am your host, Christina Whalen-Chabot, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Matters of Movement. And if you want to buy a tank top or just check out my website, you can do that at mattersofmovement.ca. In order for our podcast to reach a bigger audience, you can show your support and love by subscribing to reviewing and rating this podcast. See you next time, where we will continue to explore all matters related to movement together.